today on Media Download. From Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. We are joined today in studio by one of America's most capable and experienced uh, journalists. His name is Jonas Serra. You read him often in the New York Times, as you have for a number of years now. Uh, he writes about sports today at the New York Times. Previously, he was a columnist on the paper's op-ed page. Joe is a graduate of Boston University. He's worked at the Washington Monthly, at the Texas Monthly, at New England Monthly. He was the executive, uh, uh, pardon me, he was the editorial director at Fortune Magazine. Uh, he has won a number of awards for his journalism and is cons widely considered to be one of the preeminent business journalists of our day. His books include A Piece of the Action, How the Middle Class Joined the Money Class. Um, he has won Hancock Awards in business writing going back to 1983, 84, and 91. And in 2007, he was named a Pulitzer Prize finalist for commentary. Welcome to this podcast, Joe, and welcome to Montclair State. Well, thanks for having me, Merrill. You are here today to talk about your latest work, a fantastic book which I just finished called Indentured, the Inside Story of the Rebellion Against the NCAA, and it is probably the first work of its scale to take on what is you call what you call a cartel, the NCAA. Tell us how you came to take on such a lofty topic. <laughs> I don't know if lofty is the right word, but uh, uh, it began um, by chance uh, with an assignment from the Times Magazine to write about, um, to write as a thought exercise, if you were going to pay the players, the college athletes, how would you do it? And I spent about three months digging around, and in addition to coming up with a scheme to pay the players... Um, I also learned or discovered for the first time what the inner workings of the NCAA was like and how players were treated and their lack of rights and their lack of due process and how the NCAA could accuse them of anything and they, they really had no recourse and the extent to which uh, college sports had become a multi-billion dollar business. And um, this stuck with me. And it wasn't that long thereafter when I discovered that uh, a freshman at UConn on the UConn basketball team wasn't being allowed to play by the NCAA because they were investigating his mother. And his mother's crime had been to take money from his AAU coach, who was also a close family friend, uh, to go on his recruiting trips which is something that you would think that any mother would want to do and which in a normal American life, somebody giving somebody money to do that would be considered an act of generosity. And yet the NCAA viewed this as a violation of his amateurism rules and the, the investigation that ensued into her was horrific. And she's a single mother raising four kids in a downtrodden city in Illinois, Aurora, Illinois, and they... Uh, they basically harassed her out of a job. She lost her job. 
Um, they interrogated her mercilessly. They demanded to see all these checks that she had written over the years. Um, and they just really treated her like a criminal. Um, and, you know, as I was writing about this, I actually think I wrote at one point, you know, how can this be allowed in America? How can an American institution act like this with such disregard to fairness and due process? Um, and that's really what launched me on this, um, you know, quest to discover as much as I could about the NCAA and to try and expose a lot of the things that they do that I think are just uh, inappropriate and wrong. And the, so you went into the, um, into the enterprise, spent several years of your life looking hard at this one topic, wrote, how many newspaper columns did you write about the NCAA, would you estimate? Oh, 30. 30 newspaper columns in the most prestigious newspaper in the country, maybe in the world, bringing a lot of attention to the topic just through those columns, and then you decided to turn it into a book. And from that research, tell us what you've really concluded about the state of college athletics and the NCAA. Well, um, I would separate into two distinct areas. One is the issue of rights, and one is the issue of economics. On the issue of rights, um, college athletes are restricted in what they can do, what they can get, uh, in ways that uh, no other student on any campus in the United States is restricted. It's not just that they don't get any money. It's that if they get into academic trouble, it's the bureaucrats at the NCA who decide if it's fraud or not, not the honor court at the school. It's that if they don't have any money for a pizza, you know, another student can't buy them a pizza because that's uh, an, 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 uh, an improper benefit. Um, it, they are only allowed to eat at someone's house twice a semester. Otherwise, it's a violation of NCA rules. Um, I mean, this is just, these are just kind of the sillier ones. Um, I mean, their behavior is severely restricted. And then there's the issue of money. Uh, in economic terms, the NCA is a cartel that uh, suppresses the wages of the labor force. And if you think about it in those terms, you know, everybody around them is getting rich off their labors. Uh, the reason Jim Harbaugh at Michigan makes $5 million, the reason Nick Saban at Alabama makes $7 million, the reason Mike Krzyzewski makes $10 million is because their players make nothing. And I think that's wrong. I don't think the NCAA should be in the uh, college athletic compensation business. Um, uh, and I think it's excuses for doing so, uh, i.e., they're students, therefore they can't be paid, are nonsensical. Um, and yet here we are uh, with this implacable organization and a system that just refuses to budge except in the tiniest of ways. The flip side argument obviously is that, um, that students who might not have the opportunity to go to college do, and they get educations at wonderful universities like the University of Alabama and Duke University worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for which they don't have to pay. How do you counter that argument? I, I counter it in two ways. First of all, way too many players who play football and men's basketball don't get the education that they're supposedly promised. And so the bargain that universities make with the athletes is a corrupt bargain. Um, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is 
in part because they are on the campus to generate revenue for the university through their play. And their play comes first. Practice comes before education. The game comes before education. Weightlifting comes before education. Film sessions come before education. Everything comes before education. Um, and so they get short shrifted on the education. And, that's, and, and there are also plenty of players who re really aren't capable of college work and who major in what I call eligibility, i.e., they take random courses that are really simply designed to keep them on the field. So it's a corrupt bargain. My second answer would be that, again, in economic terms, everybody else in society is able to make what they're worth. And yet, for college athletes, we say they have to be restricted to what we say they can get, which is a scholarship and a few thousand extra dollars to um, cover what's called the full cost of attendance. And that's it. And it doesn't matter uh, to them, to the NCAA, or to the what I call College Sports Inc., that their value in the marketplace is a heck of a lot more than that. If you can pay Mike Krzyzewski $10 million to recruit you to his school, you've got to have value that goes beyond a scholarship. So why are athletes unique in American society is not, be, is not being allowed to reap the value uh, that the economy says they're worth? You have made this a cause. Um, it is a cause that requires a degree of bravery. You're taking on a very large and powerful institution. And as you mentioned to some students uh, earlier today, it seems natural that there would be those rules because this is the way it's always been. Change is sometimes hard to fathom, and the kind of change you're advocating, a creation of a marketplace where players could perhaps seek their true worth in the college environment, this is really a cause, and you're an agent of change at some level. How does that feel for you as a journalist? Well, um, <laughs> I, it, I've always been an opinion journalist in one way or the other. So my, the, the vast bulk of my career has been in magazines, and in the magazine world, you have to bring a point of view to a story. Uh, otherwise, it's boring and no one will read it. Uh, in the 10 years I've been at the Times, although I've had three different jobs, they've always been basically opinion. So this is not that new. Also, it's not that new that I would take a, pick up a cause. Um, you know, when I was writing a business column for the Times, I got really, really heavily into the foreclosure crisis. And I wrote a lot of columns about how wrong the banks were in how wrong the banks were in treating homeowners so shabbily not allowing them to redo their mortgages often taking their homes away without uh, giving them notice you know, I wrote a lot of columns about that so for me to champion a cause uh, even though it's often in a Don Quixote kind of way is is not that new and and not that un unusual I think the main difference in this case um, is that while I don't foresee my ultimate goal happening anytime soon, i.e. paying the players, there's no question that in the time that I've been writing about this and as other writers have picked it up, that there has been change for the better on the margin for the players. And I'm, I'm happy that, to have played some role in that happening. And you're in the midst of trying to get these ideas into the idea marketplace, if you will, thus this podcast, an appearance at a large university, other such appearances. How is that enterprise going? Are you being well-received? Actually, I'm being quite well-received. Um, 
uh, it's surprising to me, actually, how receptive audiences have been um, to my core argument about player rights. And, um, you know, I, I advocate other things besides pay. One of them uh, is that universities should uh, provide lifetime health insurance and lifetime uh, scholarships to athletes so that they can come back to school and get their degree and so that, you know, when they have a permanent injury that requires six, seven, eight, nine surgeries, um, there's health insurance to pay for it. Those two aspects of the things they advocate are incredibly popular and people immediately understand um, why they're important. Um, paying the players is a little bit harder to because uh, we've had this system of unpaid players for so long, I mean really since forever, um, that it's hard for people to get their heads around the idea that the market really could, uh, that you could still have great college sports in a market environment, uh, just as you still have, have great Major League Baseball in a market environment, even though once upon a time there was no free agency and player, uh, the, the, the pay that the athletes got, the baseball players got, was really quite small. You've evolved in your career alongside this book to the point where now sports and economics and all the issues around sports are now uh, your forte, and you're writing for the sports pages of the New York Times after evolving from uh, the business pages to the op-ed pages and now to sports. A great evolution. How do you like sports these days? Uh, sports is fun. <laughs> sports is a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, I don't really write about the games, per se. I don't write about what happens on the court. I write about everything that happens off the court. And so I find the issues really interesting and challenging. Um, the issue of concussions is, is, is really big, and I plan to get into it. Um, the, the issues of the legal liabilities of a baseball team when somebody gets smashed in the face with a ball is an interesting issue. Um, uh, and You're talking then, about a fan, the fa question uh, of a fan, fans. And yes, 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 yes. And and the NCAA and the surrounding issues around both uh, uh, economic uh, issues with players and and rights issues uh, are something that I've really you know digging in on. So uh, you know I'm in I am enjoying it. I'm also enjoying the new length that I have on the op-ed page. You only have 800 words uh, with this job. I've got 1,800 to 2,000 words, which allows me to do a lot more storytelling. And one of the things coming back to this job has reminded me is how much I enjoy storytelling and how much it's at the core of uh, how, my, how I see myself as a writer. Well, you can enjoy Joe's uh, work on the sports pages of the New York Times uh, with, uh, with great frequency, so please uh, do so. And don't forget to look for Indentured uh, on your bookstore or on your Kindle or through any electronic means you can get it. Uh, Joe is actively out talking to people like us about it. It's a great cause. It's an important issue, especially as we sit here on a college campus. And, Joe, good luck with, uh, with all your work around NCAA. Thank you very much, Merrill. Great having you. Um, if you have any questions about our show today, uh, don't hesitate to write us at gmwmsc at mail.montclair.edu or give us a call at 973-655-2000 and ask for WMSC. I'm Merrill Brown. Thank you for joining us today.